Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. So there's a scene in the movie Brick where Joseph Gordon-Levitt walks up to a group of kind of high school tweakers and says, by way of kind of threatening them, I've got all five working senses, plus I slept last night, so I'm six ahead of the lot of you. That's sort of the relationship maybe I have with you today, except in reverse, you probably slept. I really haven't. We've been covering politics for a while here. But we thought it was important today to get on the air with one of the big stories of last night, the number of women running for state legislative offices in Connecticut who beat longtime incumbents or pulled off other kinds of upsets. So we've gathered quite a few of them on very short notice. Uh, They will be with us today. You'll hear their stories and what they think about the future. Speaking of the future, here's the news. Well, 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 good afternoon. Uh, if that's what it is. I'm a little bleary right now. Uh, if you were if you're listening right now at one, you might have noticed that President Trump was talking and talking and talking for like a really long time. And we're breaking away to do this show, I think partly because I think that's why he's talking right now so that he'll be the center of attention. He can't stand it if anybody else is the center of attention. It doesn't matter whether it's somebody from his party or the other party. He hates that. And he especially doesn't want us to have conversations like the one we're about to have. And the conversation we're going to have right now is a conversation I call ex-women first class. So, in fact, we have this new incoming class of legislators, a class that was determined uh, last night. Last night, as we sat in the studios here at WNPR uh, doing our, our special coverage of the election, and it was 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock. I kept looking at my phone. My phone is, the, as they say these days, blowing up. And each story seems to be another story about a Democratic woman who defeated an incumbent, a Republican incumbent, or won in a place where Democrats never win. Basically, if you, if you were in Connecticut betting against Democratic women last night, you lost a lot of money. Uh, they it was sort of it was a remarkable run. And, you know, Tip O'Neill said all politics is local, uh, which is certainly true. And whenever I look at a state rep race or a state Senate race, I say, what are the local issues? Um, But I think something else happened, something statewide here. The pattern was way, way too consistent. So we have invited as many of these women as we can possibly uh, fit onto uh, a show of this size uh, to come join us today and tell us a little bit more about themselves and why they ran and what they think happens next. Um, And I will now stop talking. Uh, Joining us now, the the first of our many uh, of last night's winners, Mary Abrams, a state Senate elect from the 13th District. This is a a district that kind of sits really in the middle of the state. Uh, It includes Meriden, Middletown, Middlefield, Cheshire. Uh, It was held by Lynn Susio, but it's actually a sort of a TikTok district. It's one that uh, has been known to kind of flip back and forth from Republican to Democratic uh, hands. But uh, Mary Abrams was the winner last night. Uh, She's joining us now. Hi, you're on the air. Oh, no, you're not on the air. Maybe have I got the wrong thing here? No, we've we've lost Mary Abrams just as I was totally ready to start. Stop talking. All right. Let's just see what's going on there. 
And I'll tell you a little bit about who else is going to join us. Some of these people are so new to me, I may be mispronouncing their names as we go along, but I'm going to learn to pronounce their names because they're, they are state legislators now. Uh, Pat Wilson Phineas, uh, who won last night up in the northeast corner, uh, Talon Ashford Willington, uh, Christine Palm, somebody I already know, uh, won a state rep race uh, down in Chester, Essex Deep River. Uh, Jill Berry uh, won a race uh, last night that is typically um, almost almost invariably held by Republicans. Um, it was vacated by Prasad Srinivasan uh, as he uh, made his run for governor. Uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, just a few. Well, Julie Kushner, who beat, beat Mike, Mike McLaughlin last night, and Alex Bergstein, or Stein, I haven't learned that yet, uh, who won last night. Again, or actually, she won this morning. That, that race was actually called uh, this morning. She won down in the southwest corner uh, against Scott Franz. All right, let's try this again. Let's see if we've got uh, Mary Abrams ready to go here. Uh, Mary Abrams, uh, this is Colin. Are you, are you there? I am. Hi, Colin. Thank you for having me. Very happy to have you. So let me just begin with this. Um, a, a Senate campaign is an arduous thing. Why did you decide to run? What was important enough for you to make you run for Senate? Well, um, the 2016 election was a huge wake-up call for me. Mm-hmm. I've always been somewhat politically inclined, but never in my life thought I would run for office. And um, when I looked at our own Senate seat, was being held by someone who I didn't think reflected the values of our district. I grew up here. I raised my family here. And I thought to myself when the opportunity presented that what was stopping me and that I really owed it to myself and to my community to step up and and run. Mary, I have this feeling that, and you're a former teacher. I think that's uh, relevant here, too. I had this theory last night that the issue that we in the press were not covering enough was guns, that um, mm-hmm. the, issue, the issue of guns, uh, particularly post-Tree of Life, which was like our one millionth wake-up call uh, mm-hmm. about gun policy, uh, was going to be in the minds of voters last night. I, I, I don't know. How, how, how important to you was that particular issue? That was extremely important to me. Like you said, I'm a former educator. I'm a retired teacher and administrator. Um, you have no idea what it feels like to have to practice lockdown drills in the school. And to know that that threat is real and that our children are living with that kind of a threat. So to have our um, current senator be one of the few that voted against the bump stock ban was absolutely motivating to me. Um, I did not think it really reflected what the people of this community wanted. Well, speaking of what the uh, people of the community want, a great way to find out is to run for office because then you're <laughs> everywhere and people tell you oh, what it is that they think is important. So what did people tell you uh, out, out on the campaign trail? Um, I did a lot of door knocking, a lot of phone calls. It was it was a really incredible experience to talk to people and to really get to have a conversation about what's important to them. Um, it really went two directions. For some people, the economy was the most important, and that's really, you know, taxes, their property values, those kind of issues were really what weighed most heavily on their decision. And for other people, it was more the social issues you know, like a woman's right to choose or sensible gun laws or the environment. Um, So it really seemed to go in both directions. So, you know, when the Senate uh, convenes in 2019 and a bunch of you begin to find your seats there uh, in that sort of ovoid uh, chamber, 
uh, you're going to sit down in one seat, and Christine Cohen, uh, who, run, who won down in Ted Kennedy's former district, uh, is going to sit down in another seat. And Julie Kushner, who's coming on here in a few minutes, uh, who won the Danbury uh, Ian McLaughlin seat, is going to sit down uh, in, in another seat. Uh, and and I'm so tired, I'm blocking all the other ones. But th- 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 this is going to be a change. A lot of these people are, are taking seats. Well, I, yeah, obviously, Alex Bergstein would be the other person uh, who's going to sit down in Scott Francis' old seat. So these are a lot of seats that were held by men. They're occupied by women. Is there a, a direct line from the women's marches that followed the 2016 election to where you guys are right now? I believe there is. I think that, you know, I participated down in Washington, and it was a very empowering experience, and it really made me realize that I um, owned what was happening, you know, that that I couldn't just sit back and complain about it or feel frustrated or, or disillusioned by it, that I really had to step up and say, if, if there was going to be a change, then I had to be that change. And I think that there's a lot of women that have felt that way, and that's why we, we all decided to run. All right. Well, can I, can yeah, go I ahead. tell you, though, that uh, yeah. this particular Senate seat, the 13th District, does mm. have a great history of women who have held the seat from Amelia Mastone to Dante Bartolomeo. So I'm very proud of that, too. So I I do have to put that in. All right. Uh, And you're good to do that. All right. Well, Mary Abrams, uh, congratulations. I'm going to be saying that a lot to a lot of people uh, on this show, but congratulations on your win last night. Once again, if you're just tuning in, we decided that you know, the president yammering, you could get that some someplace else. Uh, he just wants to be the center of attention. He doesn't like it when people don't focus on him. We'd like to focus on some women who pulled off some remarkable accomplishments last night in this election here in Connecticut. Uh, race after race uh, seemed to involve a Republican incumbent uh, losing to a Democratic woman uh, or a Democratic woman winning a seat that Democrats typically don't even have a shot at. So uh, as I said before, uh, some of these women are new enough to me that I may need to learn how to pronounce their names. That might be happening right now. Uh, Joining us right now is Pat uh, Wilson Phineas. Am I saying that correctly? You you got it right. All right. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) All right. So you're elected to the State House of Representatives. This is the 53rd District. Uh, Sam Belsito was the Republican incumbent. We're talking kind of northeast corner of Connecticut, Tolland, Ashford, Willington. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I'm asking uh, all of the guests today. What made you decide this cycle it was important for you to run? I think it. these are times when anybody who has the wherewithal to move this country or our community in the right direction needs to, needs to come to the table and, and try, to, try to do that. Um, I decided to run because I was not thrilled with the current direction that our uh, my opponent was taking and i felt that it was important to bring our communities together and to not focus so much on you know red and blue so to speak but rather you know the fact that we're all district residents and americans and that the representative of our district needs to represent every single person in it 
Um, uh, since you mentioned your opponent, let's get this part of it out of the way. Sam Belsito, uh, among other things, uh, appeared to back up President Trump when he had said that there were some nice people marching among the white supremacists and nativists uh, at Charlottesville. Uh, Sam Belsito seemed to echo that sentiment uh, and, and agree with the president, uh, president about this. Uh, you are a black woman. Um, it, was that an important part of this calculation? I know it wasn't the only one, and, and I want to talk a lot more about your pretty well, extensive background. No, I wouldn't say it was an important part of it, hmm. um, but it's part of the wrong direction that I was referring to. Right. It, it, so it wasn't certainly, you know, anyone can make an offhand statement, and it can be taken in or out of context, and one shouldn't be necessarily judged by, by a comment. So I wouldn't say that that was a motivating factor. But to, but to make a comment like that suggests a wrong thinking that was of concern to me and a divisiveness that I think is n- not appropriate for our, for our community. Sure. I should say that the last time I checked, um, talking about Wilson Phineas right now, the last time I checked, you were up about 500 votes, but Sam Belsito had not uh, conceded he was referring to irregularities without going into specifics. Is that kind of the, the status of things still right now, to the best of your understanding? Well, no, I know of no irregularities. I've seen nothing from anyone other than the comments that were made, uh, and I didn't hear those comments directly. I might have, you know, heard them from someone else saying that there were irregularities. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that I've won. I believe the count was more than 500 votes, and even um, I, I, requ- I understand that the rules require that there be a recount or something of that nature if there's a 200 vote difference. But with 500 votes, I have no reason to believe that I'm not the winner of the contest. And unless I hear something to the contrary, I'm assuming so. He certainly has not conceded to me directly, and I don't know that he ever will. Um, But until someone tells me otherwise, I'm I'm moving on at this point with the notion that I've won the race. So um, we should say that for a lot of the people that I'm going to be talking to today, um, the state capitol is going to be a, a kind of a new place, a place that they're not that familiar with. That would not be the case with you. You've held a cabinet-level position uh, in a previous administration. So tell us about that. Well, yes, I did. I was the commissioner of the Department of Social Services from uh, approximately 1999 until 2007 under John Rowan, and then in the first part of the initial term of Judy Rell. Um, those, that was a Republican administration, um, you know, and I, I'm a Democrat, but frankly, that's when I believe I developed the skills of talking across the aisle, and that is something that I think is necessary and appropriate for the time that we're in right now. So I, I gauge those years not as being valuable just to know the capital and how the state works and all of the kinds of nuts and bolts that some other people may be newer at. But I, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's critical that we, you know, be able to work together. My, my campaign slogan was, it's time to work together. I had actually had two campaign slogans. The first was, experience matters. And the second was, it's time to work together. And I stand by both of those. So I do draw on the experience of being um, the Commissioner of Social Services, amongst other jobs that I've had in my, in my career, and uh, the experiences that I gained from, you know, real life as well as from um, 
you know, from the opportunities I've been given by the state of Connecticut. Right. And uh, excuse me if, if I get this wrong. I'm now forgetting what I've read about whom, but my recollection is you are an attorney and you've also worked in academia. Uh, yes. Yes, I actually started my um, career in at uh, St. Joseph College. It was St. Joseph College then. Now I know it's St. Joseph University. But I founded a program uh, called the Center for Child Welfare Studies at St. Joseph College. It was an interdisciplinary master's program in child welfare. And I did that um, almost immediately after getting out of uh, finishing my law degree and my social work degree. So that was the first job that I took in the old days. You have to you just have to wait about three months before you found out whether or not you passed the bar, and so during that three months, I opted to take this uh, teaching job at at St. Joe's, where I was teaching initially law-related social work courses, and that developed into the development of this inter- interdisciplinary master's program. Um, so yes, I was an attorney. I haven't practiced very much law. I mean, obviously, you use law every day when when you have that training, but I haven't. Um, you know, I've handled a few cases for, you know, cousins that needed divorces, <laughs> and I had some, some children's cases initially, but I haven't, I'm, you know, my, my practice has been primarily social work education, yeah. social work legal. My advice to you, don't run for attorney general. Uh, it gets very complicated. <laughs> um, no, I won't be doing, no, you won't see me be doing that. <laughs> um, so I just have to uh, say we, we have a lot of uh, of last night's successful women coming on the air. Your story is a, an amazing one. And let me just uh, put one more uh, point on that amazingness. So until last night, there was kind of only one celebrity in the family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now maybe there's two now that you won. But uh, tell us who that other celebrity is. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, tell us who that other celebrity is. Your son. Oh, my son, Cheo. Yeah. Yes, my son is Cheo Hodari Coker. And he is a uh, writer and uh, TV producer. His most recent uh, accomplishment was being the showrunner, creator, and writer of the Luke Cage series. But he's also done, uh, you know, he's he's worked on NCIS LA and Ray Donovan and uh, mm. any number of things. He, he wrote the book Notorious, which was the basis for that movie on the Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. And, and got screen credit for that as well. And I understand he has screen credit on Creed 2, which is coming out very soon. Wow. So All right. Yeah, so, so, yes, he, you know, he, he's nicknamed Mr. Hollywood and, and by some members of my family. But well. he, uh, he, he's a, a wonderful son, a wonderful father, and I'm extremely proud of him. I can tell you are. Uh, those are credits <laughs> are not too shabby. But now uh, there's a legislator in the House, so yes, he yes. better mind his britches. All right, we're going to have to stop here, Pat Wilson and Phineas. I look forward to getting, getting to know you as a member of Connecticut's uh, legislature, and it's been great to talk to you today. Well, I'm look for, looking forward to the work. There are a lot of important issues that need to be dealt with, and I'm ready to take them on. All right. I'm going to switch, switch gears here to somebody whom I really do, do not have to get to know uh, because I've known her for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, something like that. Uh, Christine Palm is joining us right now, state representative-elect to the 36th hey, House District. Uh, hey, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm rattling off your credentials. Don't interrupt me. Uh, state representative-elect to the 36th House District of Chester, Essex, Deep River, and Haddam. Uh, she re- beat a Republican incumbent uh, last night. Um, so first of all, Christine, um, I think a lot of people who know you think about you as this kind of West End, uh, Hartford person. Uh, what are you doing down there in the Connecticut River? Oh, living the riparian life along the Connecticut River, which is just beautiful. Um, my husband, James Baker, and I 
moved down here about seven years ago. Um, I commuted to Hartford because unlike some of my colleagues, I actually do have a lot of experience in government, not as an elected person. And so to your question about why I decided to run, I wanted to bring to bear a lot of my experience in the state treasury as a communications director, um, as a nonpartisan person studying women's issues, seniors, children. And yes, the, the Trump turn was a solidifying moment, but I had decided to run before that because I felt I had skills and experience to bear. Um, and frankly, I have always rejected this narrative that what's good for people is bad for business. And I think it's time we started recognizing um, the intersectionality of those two things. And that's something I really want to work on and saw being done well and poorly. Let, in me, the general. let me ask you this. I, I'm going to ask you a similar question to what I asked Mary Abrams, but this is kind sure. of spot on for you uh, because of your work with the Permanent Commission on the Status of Women. It did seem as though last night was the period at the end of a sentence that began with uh, with the march on Washington, with the women's march that not just not, just not on Washington, but that happened all over the country uh, after the 2016 election. Um, so many of you got these wins last night. I don't know what connection do you see there? Oh, there there is a huge one. Yes, it, absolutely. Um, and I I wanted to mention too, there were so many wonderful women running uh, who didn't have a victory and I, I want to thank them for their courage and their uh, the insight that they gave all of our races. Um, it, yeah, there was wind in our back for sure. And I think there's a recognition, not just among women, but among very enlightened and progressive and feminist men, male allies, that women lead differently. And it's it was our time to do, to show that and to work together in coalitions and individual as individuals to make change. Absolutely. There was there was a very strong uh, force behind us and from within us, and which which we played off one another. There's no question about that. But we also needed to have um, the the male allies who are great, the, the machinery behind us. In some cases, we did. In some cases, we didn't. And uh, women, it was our time. There's no question about that. So, Christine Palm, you know, with some people uh, that I talk to about uh, a situation like this, I, I might have to look up a fun fact about them or be told a fun fact about them because, uh, for example, with my previous guest, Pat Wilson Phineas, I didn't necessarily know that her son was this uh, Hollywood showrunner. In your case, uh, you started a bowling alley. That's not a, that's no small accomplishment. <laughs> Tell people about that. Uh, yes, when I lived in the West End, some neighbors and I um, bought a bowling alley, a historic one, actually, duck pin, the small, challenging uh, kind of bowling. And because it was historic, our kids all had birthday parties there, and we made a, a nonprofit community project out of it and rescued it, if you will. Um, and it was a great uh, moment of civic engagement and what happens when communities um, can pull together for, for, the, for the common good. Um, and that that was a great moment. Um, so, yes, I've been a small business owner, which is part of the resume and part of why I want to see small businesses thrive as well. Well, Christine Palm, so great to see you win uh, part of my probably I have to say my second favorite crazy Irish American Hartford family. Uh, the, the Currys always have to come first. Uh, so so one last thing about Bill Curry. Yeah. In my acceptance speech last night, I had to quote that guy because he said something very moving about the sacredness of uh, the civic engagement. He said, I said something like, uh, it was a high holy day, and together, out of this quiet, fathomless mystery, descends, we descend together to, to pick a future. And that's really how it feels, like we're on the precipice of something very important and transcendent.
Yeah, but don't quote so Bill. But, no, it just encourages him. It encourages him. <laughs> don't do that, all right? Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're free to do anything else you want, but don't encourage Curry to, to make more words come out of his mouth. Uh, all right. So uh, I have to take a break right here. It's great to hear an old friend, uh, Christine Palm. As you can tell, we've known each other a while. Uh, I, Betsy Kaplan, I think we should take a break here, don't you? Let's take a break. Uh, we'll do that. We'll come back. We have all kinds of other wonderful, exciting, triumphant uh, women from last night uh, that we want you to meet. I'm going to do the shout out the credits a little bit later here, but I should say that this is a show that we decided to do, I think, sort of at 10 a.m. this morning. So uh, Betsy Kaplan, uh, a triumphant woman, woman in her own life, women, I think she's more than one woman, uh, got this show together uh, in an amazingly short time. We had a lot of help from uh, other people, including uh, Scott Breedy, uh, and we've got uh, Jonathan McNichol on the board. Okay, now I am doing the credits. I'm not supposed to do them yet. But anyway, thanks to everybody. We really had to, s- to run around and, and, and nail this thing down, and I don't think I was all that much help. Anyway, uh, joining us now, uh, and this is a district I know very well, uh, Jill Berry. Uh, w- uh, when I said earlier that uh, Republicans won, uh, Democrats won districts that Republicans only win, that Democrats almost never have a chance in. This would be an example. This is the 31st House District. It's Glastonbury, basically. Uh, Prasad Srinivasan held the seat before. He was part of the gubernatorial field on the Republican side uh, earlier in the cycle. Uh, she is now the state representative elect there. And as I said, uh, what is ordinarily a, a pretty tough seat for a Democrat to win. So, uh, Jill Berry, welcome to the show. Hi, Colin. Thank you for having me. So I'll ask you the question I keep asking people. What made it important for you? You're so, you've been active in local politics. Yes. But what made it important for you to seek this seat in this cycle? Well, um, Glastonbury Democrats are coming off a big win, um, November 2017, uh, where the town council flipped um, the Republicans had a majority for about 14 years, and that changed last November. Um, and so it kind of gave me the confidence, and it kind of put the <laughs> thought in my mind. And, um, you know, I've been on the Glastonbury Town Council for seven years, and during that time I've really learned what Glastonbury needs and what Glastonbury residents want. So it was just a perfect timing. You know, um, this is, uh, although, in fact, we should say that Glastonbury flipped its government, uh, I think, in the last cycle, went from a Republican supermajority to a Democratic majority. That's uh, and, and so that may have some reflection on this. This seat has been held for a really long time. I'm about to reveal how incredibly freaking old I am. Um, but I remember Nina Parker, who held that seat. Uh, Bob Merritt, I think, might be one of the very few Democrats who held it. I also uh, I covered one of his yeah. races. A long time ago. Yeah, it was a really long time ago. So... Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm getting a message from Betsy Kaplan saying she's the first Democrat in like 50 years. It's not 50 years. I haven't been covering politics that long. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to talk a little bit about what you heard as you were running. So it's a great way. You know your town anyway. You're on the town council. When you run for state rep, you really talk to a lot of people about what their concerns are, particularly what they want to see happen at the state capitol, what kind of state they want this to be. What were people saying to you? Um, well, I mean, definitely the economy was top of the list, but um, really I think what it came down to uh, in this election was values. 
um, people were really concerned about their social social values, um, whether it was sensible gun control, women's re- uh, reproductive rights, the environment, equality for all. That is what I think really was the driving force be- behind the win. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it seems as though, you know, I keep asking people about the, the Women's March in 2016. You know, there there's a way in which last night I, I kept saying to my colleagues here, you know, there there's, uh, first of all, a huge block of, they're not a block, but a huge group of unaffiliated voters. There are more unaffiliated voters in Connecticut than there are Democrats and certainly more unaffiliated voters than there are Republicans. Winning elections usually involves convincing some of those people to vote for you. And my sense of what may have happened in race after race last night is there's unaffiliated voters who are concerned about some of the values issues that you're talking about, about ultimately didn't feel as though Republicans had successfully or sufficiently distanced themselves from what's coming out of Washington right now, what's coming out of the White House right now, uh, and, and we're, we're maybe eager to explore an alternative. I don't know if you've had similar thoughts. Um, absolutely. I think, um, especially women, um, in the last two years, they feel that their values have been threatened, and um, many of them uh, stepped up and they spoke up, and they ran for office, and they won. And um, if they didn't do that, they definitely got out there and they voted. And I know um, there's a lot of grassroots action uh, with Moms Demand Action and NARAL. I mean, they were, they were crucial to this race. I mean, they were so supportive, and they were out there, and they were fighting for their rights. You know, you mentioned the environment before. Glastonbury is a huge town. I think it's the second biggest town in after Salisbury in Connecticut in terms of square miles, uh, square mileage area. And one of the things it has is a very long, quote unquote, coastline on the Connecticut River. Yeah. Uh, I'm, th- I'm imagining that for people in Glastonbury, they have a lot of very, very beautiful nature in places like Cotton Hollow. They've got Minichog Mountain and then they've got all that riverfront. And, and I'm, I would imagine climate change and stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't just hit coasts, right? It hits rivers. That's correct. So was that an issue? Did that, did people talk to you about that? <laughs> well, ironically, Glastonbury just went through the process of um, doing their plan of conservation and development. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the past year, they've actually been talking about that. And in the last six months, what's really come to light is climate change, um, sustainability, um, things like that. So um, there were many groups in town, like activist groups, that came and spoke out, and this was definitely a big issue. Um, And people really want to see someone that's going to stand up for those rights. Uh, Jill Berry, uh, do you remember the moment last night when you realized that you'd won? Uh, What did you do? (laughs) Um, It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. Um, It was a very close race. It was a very tight race. It was very late. It came down to absentee ballots. Mm -hmm. I just, <laughs> I just was so happy, and I thanked everybody in the room, and we've had an outpouring of support and an outpouring of volunteers, and it, it just, over the past six months, we've worked so, so hard. And it paid off, and we all just celebrated. It was such a great moment. Yeah, we were doing a special coverage last night, and my <laughs> phone kept kind of blowing up. And at one point, I think I saw somebody was texting me, Jill Berry, five votes. I mean, at one point, there was like a, there was yes. a, there was a five-vote margin. That's got to be a little bit uh, nerve-wracking. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, it was crazy because um, the Democrats had me up. I uh, had me 
um, losing by five, and the Republicans had me winning by four. So we <laughs> we were like, we weren't really sure what, what it was at that point. All right, so uh, we're going to uh, take a little break here, but thanks very much. Congratulations uh, to you, uh, Jill Berry. Uh, we're going to take a little break in just a second. Let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing here, and then we'll go to a break. Uh, right, we're going to try to have at least uh, two more guests on here. Julie Kushner, uh, who won uh, the state Senate district, the 24th state, uh, state Senate district. Uh, that was for the beating the incumbent Senator Michael McLaughlin. And then Alex, Alex Bergstein, uh, or Stein, I haven't learned that yet, um, she beat uh, Senator Scott France. So these were both two women who beat long-standing Republican senators. This is part of this huge wave of last night. We've decided today that, it, to me, it is the big story of last night. Obviously, the big head- headline is always going to be the gubernatorial race. Uh, that's already over and, and has been figured out as of 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, but to me, last night, I just was so surprised in race after race after race, where in many cases they just could not be expected to win. I mean, the, these last two guests that we're going to have uh, these are big, big upsets. Uh, in the case of Julie Kushner, we kind of knew it was coming. Uh, there were a lot of rumors uh, that she was running strong in that district. Uh, I don't think going into yesterday, very many people gave uh, Alex Bergstein a big chance of uh, upsetting uh, Scott France. Anyway, we'll take that break. We'll come back with these guests. No, it's actually not a rebroadcast, but we thought it was going to be a rebroadcast. We thought we were going to put a rerun on the air so I could go home and go to sleep. Uh, but then we thought, this is an amazing story. What has happened here in Connecticut last night is an amazing story. And it, I kept thinking of the movie X-Men First Class and th- thinking, this is X-Women First Class. They, have, uh, they are going to be a new group of uh, legislators coming in. And an awful lot of seats that were sat in by men are going to be sat in by women. Uh, we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about that and meet uh, some of these women. Uh, so we're going to meet one more of them in just a, a second. We've got actually two more of them left o- on the show. Uh, but let me do the credits uh, properly. So today's show was uh, produced by Betsy Kaplan uh, with assistant for assistance from Scott Breedy. Uh, Jonathan McPants is on the board uh, today because Wolfie is not available. And Carlos Mejia is our amazing uh, digital guru. Keeping up all the, the tweets, the tweetsters, uh, the facing books, the uh, Insta chat. The Snapgrams, uh, all those kinds of things. Uh, Carlos is taking care of that kind of stuff. So, um, yes, last night was an amazing story, but so was this morning. Uh, I, I will say, yesterday morning, a highly placed Democrat said to me that um, Greenwich, that the whole southwestern Connecticut area, was uh, much more in play than people might have realized, uh, that uh, in particular one Senate seat that might have been regarded as safe, the 30, 36th Senate uh, seat might not be so safe for the Republican who held it, that is L. Scott France. And lo and behold, uh, this morning we got news that Alex Bergstein had, in fact, won that seat, the challenger Alex Bergstein. So she's joining us right now. First of all, is it Stein or Steen? Did I screw it up or not? 
<laughs> it's Bergstein. Bergstein. Okay, I did screw. The answer is yes. You did screw it up. That's what you did. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about what what you ran on, what became important. Yeah. But let's begin with the decision to run. This you knew this was going to be an uphill climb. This is not mm-hmm. particularly a Democratic seat. So so why run? Right. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I spent my life advocating for issues that I care about, like the environment and women and children and gun safety. And all of those issues seem to be very much in jeopardy. So that was initially why I decided that someone needed to run. But ironically, I didn't think that should be me. I spent a few months actually recruiting, trying to recruit other people to run, and no one would do it. So eventually, um, I felt so passionate about it that I decided someone has to run and I was the last person standing and once I decided to do it and jumped in head first I enjoyed every step of the way every minute of the process um tell me a little bit about your background uh you're you're in such a surprise I, I don't know too much about you okay well I am a lawyer I used to be a corporate lawyer at Skadden Arps and but I spent most of my career as a nonprofit advocate for those issues that I just mentioned the environment women children and I ran a few nonprofits, and I started a nonprofit. So that's really been my wheelhouse, is trying to bring good information from science uh, to the public and to policymakers to get our policy to be more aligned with fact and with public interest. So I have spent time in Hartford advocating for those issues, and I've experienced the process, the legislative process, firsthand. And it was um, underwhelming, to say the least. So there's a lot of work to be done to make our system more transparent and accountable yeah. to the voters. I've spent a lot of time up there since 1979. Prepare to be even more underwhelmed. Yeah. But um, okay. so um, so I, one thing that you mentioned here, and this is like a little bit of a, a hobby horse for me or something, because I kept saying this last night and some of the other analysts didn't believe me. I, I kept saying yeah. guns are a bigger issue uh, in this race nationally and, and statewide here in Connecticut than people understand. They're not pulled on yeah. as much. Uh, they're not as big a part of the debates as some other issues. Uh, but there's a way in which, particularly because of the bitter, brutal reminder uh, of the, the Tree of Life massacre, um, mm-hmm. guns are, are in the conversation. So you said gun safety. Tell me a little bit more about what that issue is for you. Sure. Well, the issue is very simple, keeping our children, our schools, our communities safe from gun violence always. Nobody should have to think about the prospect of a shooter when they go to school. Um, You know, we have good gun laws on the books in Connecticut. We always need to be aware of new threats like uh, ghost guns. So we need to be agile and adept at uh, legislating for new threats. But we also really have to be concerned about protecting our good gun laws. And we had people on the ticket, on the top of the Republican ticket with A and A plus ratings from the NRA, which means that they pledged to repeal our current gun safety laws. And that was unacceptable to me and to a lot of voters. Um, I want to um, ask you a question about uh, something that I don't know too much about, um, not only the uh-huh. Safe Lawns or Organic Lawn Program, but also a, a, a decision you helped the Board of Education uh, in your town make uh, about their uh-huh. uh, high school stadium field. Tell me about that field. I, this, is, this is something I'm um, fascinated to hear more about. Oh, sure. Well, first of all, I, I came to that um, situation because I chaired something called the Mount Sinai Children's Environmental Health Center, which is the premier research center, uh, it's at Mount Sinai in New York, that investigates the impact of chemicals in the environment on children's health and development. And we have known for years that the products that are used in artificial turf 
contain carcinogens and other toxic materials. And no um, complete studies have been done on the impacts, the health impacts for children, especially long-term impacts. So it's erroneous for companies to say these products are safe when they haven't been adequately tested. So what we did was we tried to bring, again, good information, scientific fact, um, information directly from the pediatricians at Mount Sinai about the possible health impacts of some of these ingredients in artificial turf to the people who were making the decision about what product to choose for the new high school stadium field in Greenwich. It had crumb rubber, and, um, and fortunately, they chose a different product that was um, probably contains less harmful substances. But again, nobody really knows because studies haven't been done. You know, Alex Bergstein, was you, when you get up there uh, to your seat there in the, the state Senate, um, mm-hmm. you'll be uh, joining, as we said before, a lot of women who won last night. Christine Cohen uh, run in the, yeah. won in the seat that was formerly held by Ted Kennedy. Julie Kushner, who's going to be on the air next uh, after mm-hmm. you. Uh, 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 Mary Abrams, whom we've already talked to. There's sort of a long list of them. How many of these people do you know? Usually when you're running for state Senate, it's hard enough just to con- concentrate on all the people right in your district. Have you gotten to know any the other people who are going to be making up this this fresh woman class? Um, I haven't gotten to know them, but I have gotten to know Will Haskell because yeah, he and I both now cover New Canaan, and we have had such fun um, going to New Canaan Advertiser Copies on Fridays and sharing information. And um, and we so I don't know if you're going to ever interview Will Haskell, but he is a phenomenon. He's a 22 year old who just yes. unseated a 22 year incumbent. We, we, we talked about Will Haskell. Yeah, he's 22 years old. He, in, in, yeah. in, he, in, he unseated Tony Boucher, who has actually served in the House and Senate collectively for 22 years. Uh, we just didn't like his Y chromosome. I, I, other than that, we would have put him on. But it's just like something about <laughs> Colin, that Y chromosome. Colin, yeah. can I just say, this race, to me, and maybe for others, was really not about gender. Mm-hmm. This is about a new vision of leadership and making a more inclusive society and a more thriving Connecticut based on practical solutions for our real problems, breaking through partisanship, talking about real facts, and having and engaging in constructive dialogue. So to me, it's not about gender. It's about a new vision for our state. Well, uh, Alex Bergstein, you sound like you're ready to go. Uh, and <laughs> so uh, it, may, it may seem like a long wait in between now and next year, but enjoy your freedom and fresh air for a while. And it was great to meet you today. Thank you. Great to meet you. All right, so we have uh, one uh, final uh, guest to go. Uh, I've alluded to her a few times. Her name is Julie Kushner. Uh, She was seeking the Senate seat in the Danbury area uh, that had been held by Mike McLaughlin. Uh, She also was victorious. It actually also includes Bethel, New Fairfield, and Sherman, if you want to get technical. Uh, She was up against, I believe, a uh, five-term incumbent Republican, uh, and she prevailed. Uh, So uh, Julie Kushner, Last but not least on our list of triumphant women from last night. First of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's pretty astonishing and exciting. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you my all-purpose Swiss Army knife question for today. Why, why run this cycle? What was it about this time that made it important to you to seek uh, a legislative office? Well, I think that it was so clear to me that we were ready for a strong coalition of people that want to change and that believe change is possible, even even in rough times. And so, you know, to me, what was really 
exciting was the opportunity to really uh, build a coalition of organizations, you know, first and foremost, obviously, the labor movement, the unions, the, the workers who I've been such a big part of my entire life, but also the women who stepped forward, not just in Connecticut, but across the country. And, you know, one thing about Connecticut and, and Danbury in particular is we have a very significant Latino community. And this was a time when the Latinos were very important to this and really stepped forward and got involved and connected in a real grassroots way. And then, of course, the progressive movement. And I can't say enough about the Working Families Party. They just, you know, it was such a strong coalition led by the WFP. And so to me, I saw this opportunity to build something that wasn't just about getting me elected, because that's not what this race was about. It was about really changing the dynamic in our district and building one community and seeing that, you know, really that this is the beginning of something much bigger. Um, it, that's a big message with a lot of components that you just delivered. Um, well, I'm, pretty, I'm sorry, I'm kind of long-winded. <laughs> no, 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 you're not at all. Uh, you're not at all. No, that's not what I meant. I just meant there's sort of a lot in there. I'm wondering, as you ran, as you talked to people, was there one part of that whole constellation that particularly seemed to resonate, that seemed to generate a, a lot of feedback from the people that you talked to? Well, I think what generated the feedback, it, there was a lot in common. Uh, between all the working people in our district. And, and I mean the Latinos, the African-American community, you know, so excited about the win for Johanna Hayes and, and the leadership that was shown there and, and the women's community. And, you know, it, it wasn't one the, – the, the community came together around the issues, and that's what was so exciting. You know, one of the things that we did during the campaign was really – highlight the need in Connecticut to do something for, for working families. And we we centered that on the bill that did not pass last year of paid family and medical leave. And what was exciting about, you know, talking about some real-life change that we can make was that everybody responded to it, not just – it wasn't partisan. It wasn't just the Democrats. It wasn't just the independents and unaffiliated, but Republican families want this to happen. And so that was a very unifying issue, as well as, of course, you know, other key issues locally like, you know, the environment and, uh, you know, the concerns about transportation and about jobs and the economy and about fair taxation. So, But the thing that I'm trying to say is that, you know, we had sort of this centerpiece around paid family late leave because it's something real we can do now. But all the bigger issues that exist for the state, I found that working people, all the people in this district, they all wanted to talk about it. You know, we might disagree about how to solve the problems, but we all agree on what the problems is are, and we all agree that we need to take them on and have a vision for something better for Connecticut. I want to come back to that uh, at the end if we have time. But, um, you know, somebody, I'm pretty sure it was Mario Cuomo. Let's say it was Mario Cuomo. said you campaign in poetry, you govern in prose. So uh, when you campaign, uh, you obviously you can talk about your aspirations, uh, about the things that you hope for, for the people that you're going to represent. You get up there, you're going to be one of 36, as they say, in the Borg Collective. Uh, there'll be 151 other state representatives, and then this Lamont guy, whoever he is, and, and a whole bunch of other people who— in Who's who? Who make up a bigger picture? Uh, and as they try to tackle the state's problems, you're going to be one voice. Uh, um, and that maybe is kind of the prose part of it. I mean, uh, how do you 
envision getting your message about working families, about labor, uh, about pay equity across in that environment? Well, you know, I'm going to do it by organizing people. That's what I've always done. And, you know, I started out when I was 24 years old organizing secretaries for equal pay. And, you know, it took a lot of time, but and it was really hard work. But we had very specific goals, and we reached them, and we were successful. And we did it by organizing people and building a strong coalition. And that's what I think we have to do here. Uh, one, of the, one of the ideas that started popping into my head during this campaign is, you know, be an organizer, do what you've always done, you know, get other people involved in finding the solutions and, and building an organization. And I think that what's exciting about it is that it becomes real participatory democracy when you bring people into that process and you don't just go off to Hartford and think you can sit with your colleagues and make all the decisions. You have to in- engage and involve the community, and I think we can do that. I hope I can do that. That's my goal. Um, let me ask you one last question. By the way, I'm probably going to get in trouble for something I said earlier about how Glastonbury is the second biggest town in the state. I might be wrong about that. But um, um, so what happened with you happened in one or two other places. Uh, Mike McLaughlin wasn't just a Republican. He was one of the most conservative Republicans. That's right. You're on the other end of the political spectrum, maybe not exactly the other pole of the political spectrum, but uh, my sense is that you would track towards the progressive end, even within the Democratic caucus. What the heck happened uh, in this district to cause such a pull reversal? Well, because I think that the goals of our progressive movement are really the goals and aspirations of everyone, even people who might think they're extreme and on the other end. You know, when you talk about real life issues, like how are you going to pay your bills and how are you going to deal with family illness and how you, you know, these are real life issues that most people share you know sure there's some extremists you'll never get to but most people are reasonable and sensible and they and you know i connected with them and i worked very hard and the people that are part of this coalition worked incredibly hard we talked and talked and talked to people and we built something and so i i really believe it you know i wasn't expecting to win big like this um But I'm not surprised in retrospect because I think that what we want, there's a lot more unity in our country than people realize. Uh, We just have to find it. We have to work hard at getting there. Well, Julie Kushner, uh, you're the uh, final word, the final voice on this show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I will say, just to meet all these people, meet all these exciting people who got elected yesterday, it almost makes me want to go up to the state legislature in 2019. And that's saying a lot because I usually don't want to go up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of really exciting new faces. And, and yeah, last night was a really, really interesting night. Uh, and so congratulations once again to Alex Bergstein and Julie Kushner, Jill Berry, Christine Palm, uh, Pat Wilson, Phineas, uh, Mary Abrams. They were all of our guests uh, today on this show. Thanks also to Betsy Kaplan and Scott Breedy for pulling this thing together on very short notice. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow. I actually have no idea what tomorrow's show Do you know what tomorrow's show is about? Sneakers. Oh, the the long-awaited show about sneakers is tomorrow, and then we'll also be talking about the the um, uh, the Amazon series Homecoming on the news on Friday. So that's your homework right now is to watch Homecoming, which has Julia Roberts, also a very strong, victorious woman. <laughs>